It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. My name is Blair. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. But when it comes to DJs, I'll put you at the top of the class. Cause I love rock and funk and pop and punk and all that jazz. From hip hop to bebop to doo-wop, you ain't playing no flops. The way you kiss my ears kicks my ass. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Jim is uh, just sitting down. He's got a really bright red shirt on. Hello. So, uh, yes, the weekly news and media talk show. And uh, very interesting week. We've also got some strange drilling going on above us. So if you hear... uh, Noises over your radio, do not panic. They're drilling something up on the second floor, and it's strange because it's sort of echoing about our studio chamber, and it is not the raven tap-tap-tapping on my chamber door. (laughs) And it's not gremlins from the Kremlin. (laughs) But the raven may be tapping on Trump's door. Oh, boy. Soon enough. Uh, obviously, uh, the testimony season is just beginning. Well, it is, and it's interesting that Sally Yates was testifying today. I, I didn't actually hear any any real details about what she actually spoke about, but I would kind of prefer to hear her uh, discuss the uh, the travel ban uh, situation because that's why she was fired. And I think there was a it did come up. Yeah, I think she was. Uh, I think that's part of the cover up. Uh, that Congress needs to actually look into. Her firing? Her firing, because uh, technically uh, she would have been acting attorney generals when Sessions had to, quote, recuse himself. Uh, Do you remember the date on her firing? It was towards the end of February. Because the question that's emerging from this afternoon's hearing is, okay, I forget the date when Yates went. This is early. Uh, this is late January. So Trump's just been inaugurated. Yeah. And uh, Sally Yates goes still then acting uh, temporary uh, attorney general, uh, goes to the Trump White House twice in one week to say what Sean Spicer is characterizing as a heads up. Yeah. That there's an ongoing FBI investigation on Michael Flynn. You probably don't want to hire him. Uh, we have very strong evidence suggesting that he's been compromised sure. and that he's blackmailable by the Russians. Uh, he's not fired by the Trump administration until February 18th. There you go. It's a month later. Right. And, her, of course, her sacking comes at right around that same time. Well, and, of course, she was sacked over the controversy over the travel ban because she basically came up with a official position that it wasn't defensible in court. So that's yet another issue and another controversy that we can and hopefully media and congress will look into of course you know the kind of the big story of the week were the french elections uh once again we got russian 
attempts to involve themselves and amazingly right-wing American alt-right people are were trying to influence the French elections at the last second. Which I think is very interesting in the context of this ongoing investigation here with Trump and potential collusion with Russia. Sure. Uh, because this is just getting started. Uh, Clapper was asked about that today by Lindsey Graham. I watched a big chunk of this. Oh, this did you? Okay. Yeah, I heard it was on TV. And uh, Clapper was asked directly by uh, Lindsey Graham, who's chairing the committee, uh, do you have any evidence that anyone in the Trump campaign was colluding with Russian mm-hmm. uh, intelligence officials? Uh no, as of today, we do not. Well, then the next question is, were there any you know, sketchy connections between Trump business interests and Russia uh, at any time? Uh, well, before, uh, no, we didn't see any connections, but I can't comment on anything else sure. because of ongoing investigations. And by the way, we should point out that Sally Yates was not what we call a political appointee of Barack Obama. She's actually what's known as a career Justice Department official, and that this is sometimes an area of confusion that Americans have about who actually works in the government, who they are. She's one of those people that was promoted uh, much earlier in her career uh, into the Justice Department uh, as a, quote, career prosecutor. So she was not in any way, shape, or form uh, protecting some Obama policy uh, with respect to the travel ban. Right. These are career... Career people. Career people who are um, not even necessarily strong party affiliates. Sure. And and this is one of the ongoing uh, features of the new Trump administration, this sort of Steve Bannon theory that we're going to, you know, downsize the government's bureaucracy and get rid of all these people who work in the as civil servants in our government... Um, enforcing laws that have been on the books for quite some time. Uh, You know, recent and disturbing reports that uh, Scott Pruitt has uh, got his uh, lance and battle axe uh, sharpened and is firing EPA people right and left. Yeah, a bunch of scientists were just shown the door. We don't need science on any advisory committees at the EPA. Well, we don't. And one of the new disturbing features of the Trump administration's 100 days, which is mercifully over, has been the ongoing um, features of pollution and war. Uh, Just last week, by the way, we had the first death in Somalia of a Navy SEAL, uh, first death since 1993. Uh, Trump's first foray into militarism was in Yemen. Uh, ACLU is uh, filing a Freedom of Information request regarding the factual information surrounding the raid on Yemen. And that's on behalf of the father of the deceased. Yeah, and that occurred in the first week of Trump's uh, disastrous reign. Uh, Just last week, uh, there was an outstanding article in the New York Times about a summary of uh, Donald Trump's orders uh, related to the environment. I just wanted to read a couple of these. It's it's staggering what he's actually doing. Uh, on the 7th of February, he uh, uh, basically uh, approved the Dakota pipeline, the Standing Rock situation there in, uh, in uh, North Dakota. 
On the 16th of February, he revoked the rule that allows coal companies to dumping debris into local streams. This is, we're talking about coal ash here. We're talking about orange water. Trump is the new orange. Is that a TV show yet? <laughs> Should be. Um, on the 2nd of March, he canceled requirements on reporting on methane. And by the way, that coal uh, policy, that was actually a law passed by Congress. Trump signed that. That's, that's gone into effect, the right to pollute. Uh, on the 24th of February, he <clears throat> approved the Keystone Pipeline. That, of course, is going to be mired in lawsuits and local controversies in places like Nebraska for the next decade. So don't count on any of that Alberta tar sands uh, oil to be in your gas tank anytime soon. Um, he, uh, on the 29th of March, uh, lifted the, uh, the review of coal royalties for coal mining companies. This was done by Secretary of Interior Zinke. That's why I had a joke last week about Zinke and his horses. His first day at work, he... He rode a horse oh. into work. I don't know if you saw that. Very dramatic. <laughs> Didn't make the front page, though. Yeah. It was My comical. publicity stunt done backfired. We got a horse riding down Pennsylvania Avenue. Guy's going to work. Uh, so, you know, let's remember Zinke was the congressman from Montana. Claims he is a Teddy Roosevelt Republican. We'll see. Um, on the 29th of March, Trump basically helped out Dow Chemical by rejecting a ban on in har harmful insecticides. Oh, that's another thing that's being reviewed by the scientists. And, of course, he issued a greenhouse gas review and uh, passed a ban on hu the hunting of pred predators in Alaska, satisfying the Farmers and the hunters and that sort of thing. Um, of course, the predators in Alaska would include grizzly bears. I don't know if Betsy DeVos had better any, stay away from them school rooms. Had any uh, role in that? But yeah, these are the things. And and by the way, there's some other environmental uh, issues connected with this article. This is, by the way, on the third of. May edition of the New York Times, I, if you're really interested in what Trump is actually doing, what he's proposing to do, this is very troubling stuff. Well, especially in the context of his uh, repeated promises to the unemployed stiffs that we're going to bring back jobs and that Obama's had a war on coal and that we're going to bring the coal industry back. Well, that industry's dead. And by the way, Trump voters, um, this lie about bringing back jobs, you might begin to wonder now that the key beneficiary of Trump's policies have been to uh, help the bottom lines of major polluters. The number one cost for businesses is payroll. They're not concerned with making the life of the, the working stiff better or easier. This is just a bottom line outlook. Sure. And let's remember, by the way, that there was a jobs report released over the weekend showing that the Obama 
cyclical recovery is continuing. Uh, Donald Trump's budget, by the way, doesn't go into effect until uh, the fiscal year, which starts on October 1st. Interesting to hear Trump report that what we need is a good government shutdown. Even when he gets a victory, he steps all over that. This, of course, was the extension of the uh, Obama budget that mm. keeps the government open till, I guess, the shutdown on the 1st of October. We'll see. I uh, wanted to read this uh, interesting letter to the editor that appeared in the 31st of March edition of the New York Times about dark money and climate. Because uh, we're obviously going to continue to see a bunch of, shall we say, repression in the EPA over, uh, you know, the hoax, the Chinese hoax. Remember? That's Donald Trump's characterization of climate change. Um, this is from Fred Egan, York Arbor, Maine. He writes, the fossil fuels... Industry's control over congressional Republicans and members of Trump's cabinet is breathtaking. The president seems oblivious to the dark money influences on his supporters and the reason that they recommend anti-clean cabinet picks. Dark money is the only reason we're having a climate debate in the country. James Lawrence Powell was appointed uh, to the National Science Board by Presidents Reagan and Bush and served 12 years. Dr. Powell conducted a study of peer-reviewed articles on global warming. His study found that of the 24,210 articles written on climate change by 69,000 scientists from around the world in 2013 and 2014, of those authors, all but four, or 99.99%, indicated that global warming is caused primarily by human activity, particularly the burning of fossil fuel. This is the so-called debate, the science debate, that the hoaxers and the deniers, which sometimes can be a uh, way to shut down a conversation on this subject, this, these four scientists contrast to the 69,000 scientists. That's what we call a phony false balance debate. There isn't a debate. It's an imaginary debate. It's a legendary debate. Um, what to do about climate change, that's another subject. But uh, it's clearly happening. And indeed, methane and, you know, the example of, well, we're not going to force companies to report, you know, about methane leaks anymore. That's an example of this repression of facts and science. Troubling. Well, again, it's just really all designed to allow business to run rampant over the environment. Now, of course, we had uh, <clears throat> French elections. Uh, Macron crushed uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, I suspect that the Le Pen name needs to be uh, replaced with a different figure to lead the National Front. I guess that's the name of their party. Joan of Arc, of course, turned out to be Joan of Bark. Uh, she actually didn't do as well as the polls indicated she might. They were a, a little off, but not much. Uh, two, three presidents in American history, I believe, have received over 60% of the vote in an election. Warren G. Harding, 
Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. Those were landslides, 1920, 1936, and 1964. And, of course, the LBJ landslide uh, came in the tragedy of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, and also and bo- juxtaposed against the Goldwater candidacy. And the Goldwater was the standard bearer for the... The only time Richard Nixon wasn't on the ticket between 1952 and oh, 19... That's right. <laughs> 1972. For you trivia buffs, buffs out there. Uh, and, of course, uh, <clears throat> Donald Trump associated himself with Andrew Jackson, forced me to quickly re- read a, a book about Andrew Jackson we can talk about some other time, but I do want to recommend this series uh, that is published by the University of Press uh, at Kansas, the University Press of Kansas in Lawrence. These books are available at your public library. They're easy to spot. They have nice uh, blue, red, white, and blue covers, and there's a presidential series, and what they are are outstanding summaries uh, from the historical literature about various presidencies. So it's contemporaneous writings about? Well, it's it's basically a series of uh, all the presidents, except, oddly enough, for Franklin Roosevelt, because his presidency was probably still being reassessed. But I've read a number of these, uh, these books, and they're simply outstanding. Uh, so the Andrew Jackson uh, presidential book will be unavailable for another week because I'm going to re- review it. But we can talk more about Andrew Jackson. You know. I suspect that the whole uh, affinity for Andrew Jackson that Trump has exhibited is uh, a complete fabrication of Steve Bannon. Uh, Trump clearly knows nothing about American history. No. He, he knows nothing about the Andrew Jackson presidency, except for, uh, obviously, he's been told, probably by Steve Bannon, that he's just like you. Uh, take no prisoners, say it like it is, populist for the people. But he's on the $20 bill and you're not. <laughs> well, I always think of uh, uh, Andrew Jackson as one of our country's most reprehensible presidents. Well, it's interesting about Jackson because he uh, has always, he's he's more of a legend than, than anything. And part of it was the fact that he won the Battle of New Orleans, quote unquote. And joined the American Revolution when he was 15. Obviously, Trump's claims about Jackson and the Civil War are just preposterous. Jackson, nobody could have prevented as, the Civil War. I was going to say, as though the Civil War <laughs> were preventable. They, they might have prevented the Civil War if the founders had need, you know, rejected the idea of the three-fifths compromise. Sure. That's the Civil War. The originalism of Judge Scalia. A lot of applesauce. Yeah. I'm afraid. Uh, no, there, there's only one figure in American history that could possibly have prevented the C- Civil War, and that was George Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might have been able to do it uh, by himself because he was so greatly admired. He was the only one. And, of course, he did free his slaves. He's called the father of our country for many reasons. And I highly recommend uh, the, the American people get back to reading more about George Washington uh, and less about uh, Andrew Jackson. But anyway, uh, just reading this book rather quickly, uh, I could see that Trump doesn't know anything about Andrew Jackson's presidency. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, one of his most notorious uh, acts 
was the Indian removal uh, proposals. The Trail came, of Tears. Came up in 1830. This basically took Native Americans out of Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama, forced them west, cleared out their, their land, forced them off the land so that we could grow more cotton. Gee, that didn't have anything to do with helping to prevent the Civil War. Now, did it? <laughs> Take your cotton-picking hands off Elma Fudd. Because he's leading the charge in Somalia, Donald Trump, the war president. And maybe he thinks Andrew Jackson was a war president, but he was. His war was against the Native American people. And yes, he was a slaveholder and all that. And he was an important figure. Uh, and as this book shows, the brains behind Andrew Jackson was actually Martin Van Buren. He was the organizer of the, quote, modern Democratic Party. And it's perhaps part of Donald Trump and Bannon's strategy. I don't know if you'll re recall this. But in 2015, there were Democratic Party parties in various states that began canceling a thing called the Jefferson Jackson Dinner. This is a traditional oh, yeah. Democratic fundraising event. And, of course, the origins of the Democratic Party, uh, which, by the way, oldest political party, really, in human civilization. The first kind of organized political party that had buttons and campaign literature and propaganda <laughs> and persuasion, because politics is largely about persuasion. Uh, one of the big losers, by the way, in the French elections, besides Theresa May, was Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> How interesting to read about the propaganda that was utilized for the Brexit vote. Oh, the uh, yeah, the article about the uh, tabloid stunning, of, stunning uh, the stuff. Brexit. Yeah. Incredible. Fake news. Fake news. More fake news. Yeah, I'll just read a brief quote from this. Catherine Benhold's article, Did Tabloids Cause Brexit? It's covered with inky fingerprints that goes into the details of Rupert Murdoch's rags in London, the tabloids. Mm -hmm. and of course, the tabloids are read predominantly by working class people over 50 outside London. And, of course, it goes into the details of how these headlines work, the splashy head headlines about immigrants and this, that, and the other. Uh, of course, it details the decline of the tabloids. Rupert Murdoch, by the way, is in a media battle with Sinclair Media over the, the Tribune corporations to guarantee that our media continues to remain both corporate and right-winged for the most part. But here we have it, a research uh, conducted by a former London Times journalist. I'm assuming she worked for the London Times. Liz Gerard showed that the tabloids pounded on the immigration issue with at least 30 hostile front page splashes in the Daily Mail in the six months leading to the referendum and 15 in the sun. The headlines, Britain's wide open borders. The Daily Mail shouted, often intended toward histrionic. The Sun insinuated that child refugees arriving in Britain were lying about their ages. And, of course, it goes into the tricky ability to characterize headlines in the tabloids, because that's what you got. So uh, when, for instance, 
Um, the British sunk a Ar Argentinian warship during the Falkland Wars. Borges uh, famously characterized as two bald men fighting over a comb. Uh, the headline was Gotcha. And uh, that killed more than 300 people. And then one, at one, on one occasion, Jacques Delors, the president of the European Commission, uh, had a headline entitled, Up Your Delors. <laughs> this, of course, you know, this can be humorous. These are puns. But it's this propaganda that uh, successfully convinces people on a motion how to vote on these types of issues. And they don't even need to get into the substance behind the argument. This, you could call this old school clickbait where you see the flashy headline and wow, that's boy, is that that's startling if that's true. But then you even if you read the article, there isn't really any specific factual information to support the thing that drew you in. So it's just all about the draw. And of course, Fox News on television is filled with visual distractions. So it makes it almost impossible to follow the ridiculousness of what's being said by the talking heads on Fox because there's so much visual distraction that they're not really interested mm -hmm. in allowing you to assemble a, a serious, logistically presented factual argument. It's just a constant bombardment of distraction. Sure, and it's interesting. This paragraph... Uh, the author of this article, uh, Katrin Benhold, writes, The tabloids say they are merely reflecting the concerns and fears of their readers, but their critics say that they poison the debate by playing up people's worst instincts and prejudices, distorting facts, and creating a propaganda ramp that basically shapes mainstream intolerance and policy, and thus the tabloids themselves begin to generate the TV coverage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, of course, Rupert Murdoch's role in the uh, American political process uh, dating back to the uh, beginning of Fox News and his tabloids, because he owns plenty of tabloids. He created Donald Trump in the 80s and 90s with all of the Donald Trump rubbish in New York about what, mm -hmm. what a guy he was. Trump loved being on the front page of the New York Post, a Rupert Murdoch publication. <laughs> well, Trump's daughter is godmother to Rupert Murdoch's grandchildren. Sure. And, of course, the ethical conflicts involving the Trump family just continue to mount. It's remarkable. You want to do business in China? Talk to the Kushner clan. Yeah, it's, 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 it's growing. And, of course, you know, Michael Flynn, amongst his other... Inappropriate uh, <clears throat> contacts while working for the Trump campaign apparently include uh, being paid $500,000 by the Turkish government mm -hmm. as a, I don't know, a lobbyist or something. It's a little unclear where Flynn, of course, has gone south on the laws that he never registered as a representative of a foreign government. Uh, and why he was hired remains a little unclear. Well, the Trump uh, mouthpieces are trying to blame uh, the fact that Flynn had a security clearance at all on the Obama administration, uh, apparently forgetting the fact that the Obama administration fired Flynn and 
Right, because he was head of the DIA, yeah. and he apparently was, quote, not doing his job, was, quote, a bad manager, and had problems. Right, Just so they let him go. Vendetta. Yeah, and then he shows up as an inspirational figure at the Trump campaign rallies, and he traveled. At the convention. At the convention, he even spoke, traveled extensively with uh, Donald Trump, and... Uh, well, what are we to make of that? Well, and it's that legitimacy of a military man. Yeah. Yes, I am the very model of a modern major general. I have information, animal, vegetable, and mineral. I know the kings of England and can quote the fights historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. And for any amount of cash, I'm highly available. You got it. <laughs> a little bit of Gilbert and Sullivan here on Gray Matters, which you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Uh, of course, the French elections, there's another big round coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Macron has no members in Parliament, and Le Pen has two. So we're in a kind of a very interesting uncharted waters here with Macron. But uh, clearly, uh, this was a repudiation of Frexit which was part of Marine Le Pen's uh, main uh, right. idea for campaigning. Uh, of course, American history and the French, very interesting, very important to understand all of the permutations of this relationship dating back to the American Revolution. But of course, uh, in modern times, the most important uh, connection between the American uh, tragedy and the French incompetence was Vietnam. Right. Uh, we were paying France's military bills to the tune of about $2 billion in the mid to early 1950s. The French uh, were allowed back into Indochina following World War II. Uh, they couldn't hold Indochina. They couldn't even hold the Magic Line. But leaving aside their valor in military military matters. Well, I, that, that's not really a fair yeah. comparison to right. compare the Maginot Line to, because let's face it, once World War II has ended, you know, had FDR survived, as obviously most listeners know, decolonization would have happened more systematically. Yes. Um, that was an important thing for him, and he told Churchill up front, you know, yeah, we're going to help you, but after the war, you're going to have to let the colonies go. Uh, this twisted notion of the Dulles brothers uh, I presume that they were largely behind it, if not the intellectual authors of the domino theory. Yes. One of the most flawed foreign policy uh, agenda shapers in history. Indeed. And, of course, the French... Uh, it couldn't be held. ...surrendered at Dien Bien Phu in 1954, and the United States decided, we'll take over for the French in Indochina. Uh, that was an Eisenhower, Dulles Brothers policy. Uh, we... If you go back and check out the details of the Vietnam War, our first casualty in Vietnam happened about six weeks after VJ Day. Yeah. Uh, OSS. So, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you hear a politician like Marine Le Pen talking about the glory of France, I wonder what, which glory is she talking about. French culture is great. Charles de Gaulle famously said something like, the French are very hard to govern. It's impossible governing a country that's got 288 types of cheese. <laughs> right. And French culture 
is crucial uh, to the development of Western civilization in so many ways. The art, the music, the food. Right. But it's, yeah, which vision or version of French greatness does she have in mind? Because uh, as we're running out of time here today on the show, uh, story of Below the Fold.